Okay, we can go now. So Troy, I was telling Alex that two people I met with this morning both brought up the podcast. I told you, Brian, this podcast gives you more than you give it. And But <laughs> what does that mean? One of them said that you needed an editor. <laughs> I need an editor specifically or the whole podcast is poorly edited? No, 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 no. The newsletter, because they're, they're too long. Oh, I need an editor on the newsletter. Are you volunteering? You have to be did you read it to today? Edited. Yeah, I did, but I only got like 900 words in. It wasn't that long, you guys. And not only that, it flowed like the River Nile. There were fewer digressions. God, I wish I could write as effortlessly as you. If the person thinks I need an editor, do you want to give me their contact information? Maybe they can help. No, that's why I'm protecting it. Well, I hope it was someone that was maybe a professional writer. I will say they are... Yes, professional writer. Well, they get paid that's... to write. I don't. <laughs> and this is how you receive feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a conversation about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey. I write the Rebooting Newsletter and host the Rebooting Show podcast. Each week, I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor Troy Young, writer of the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and founder of Universal Entities. Nobody likes friction, at least in the moment. It stands in the way of accomplishing a task, and modern life in many ways has been an exercise in applying technology to remove friction from everyday processes. The gospel of frictionless experiences is preached by Silicon Valley's priest cast of product managers, spending their days ruthlessly hitting their OKRs by A-B testing and then optimizing their way to a friction-free nirvana. Jeff Bezos once declared, your margin is my opportunity, but I think he really meant your friction is his opportunity. As Troy points out in his latest post, friction is integral to the media product and business. It is imprinted on the DNA of media because it has served an essential function in the business models of media. Scarcity, after all, is sacrosanct in media acting as essential friction by limiting choices available to people. In tech, people hate ads because they are, by definition, friction. I mean, TV gravitated to commercial breaks as a way to hijack attention, and naturally, tech came along to the rescue with TiVo. There's long been too much friction in the media business, not just in the delivery, but in the service of making as much money as possible. Adding more ads doesn't have much immediate costs outside of the friction to the experience. Anyone operating a subscription business knows that addressing churn starts with adding friction to the cancellation product, no matter the long-term impact of pissing people off forever. The lucrative SEO practices of publishers are under threat from ChatGPT and the like because having to go to these web pages is unnecessary friction for the user. Only, here's the thing, some friction is necessary in the real world, and even preferable in the long run, because life is complex and optimizing small details ad infinitum can cause people to lose sight of the essential question Alex brought up last episode. What are we trying to do here? The remove friction playbook is unlikely to be sufficient with AI, not with the doomsday scenarios in the ether. There will inevitably be friction introduced to the development of AI, the same as societies do for the development of pharmaceuticals, financial services products, and energy. AI will officially close the chapter of move fast and break things. Too much stuff has already been broken. Introducing friction to slow things down is a perfectly acceptable choice sometimes. Speed bumps, inconvenience drivers after all, but they also create a safer environment for pedestrians. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please send me your feedback. My email is brian at therebooting.com. And if you have a chance, rate and review the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Or both, whichever. All right, let's get started. Let's talk about friction. Troy, you wrote about friction today, and we were talking about this. I love the idea of talking about friction because I feel like this is one of those great like tech versus media divides because tech people, they want to the hunt down one. friction. It's the essential and they one. And they want to just erase it everywhere. I think AI is the ultimate friction remover, and they're going to end up removing humanity as they remove friction because Alex convinced me that the world is ending. Explain the essential role, just to start off, that friction plays in the media business or has played in the media business because it plays hmm. a bunch of different roles yeah well on the story side it's essential it's everything but that's that's not what we're talking about it's funny i got a note after i wrote it today from someone who said that 
They are a filmmaker and they worked on a couple of David Lynch films. He made the point that we are optimizing culture right out of our society. So much art comes from friction and so much of our best culture, which I thought was a fun take on what I had said. But I think you nailed it, Brian. You've got a class of entrepreneur using technology to remove friction. And that's really another way of saying we're building an application that makes your life easier or simpler or whatever. And then you've got media. And by the way, the fragmentation of media because of digital does actually demand that we create applications that aggregate media because otherwise it's kind of impossible to navigate. So that force of aggregation makes it easier for the consumer, creates a consistent interface on media, creates a consistent monetization mechanism for advertisers, creates consistent interface to media, which is useful for the consumer. It's just a question of what the value exchange is with the creator of content and that tension between platforms and media is as old as the internet, I suppose. The other thing is, is that friction is a big part of media because advertising is by necessity friction. It sort of says take attention from one place and put it into another, which I think the internet broadly is hostile to because it wants to be sort of frictionless. You can attribute many things to the existence or absence of friction, but the advertising's had a hard time on the internet, in particular banner advertising, because for it to work well, it has to create friction that is really at odds with what consumers are trying to accomplish and the powers with the consumer on the internet and with the aggregators. It's been tough for media. But, you know, like all the great things that we admire on the internet, whether it's Alex's Airbnb or Uber or Instacart or name any number of media aggregators are essentially about removing friction on behalf of the consumer. And inside of that, it can be tough to be media. And you're right, AI is just a layer that anything that kind of serves the consumer in the way that AI will, will eliminate a lot of friction and in so doing will create a lot of pain. Yeah. It's funny because when you think about like the history of media, friction is always part of the product and tech always removes that friction. I think in the near term, it leads to better results, but it doesn't take into account the externalities of removing that friction. You think about the TV commercial is complete friction. Who in the world wants a story interrupted by two minutes and two seconds of advertisements for dish soap? And so tech comes and they're like, oh, we got this thing, TiVo. We removed it. Break the system. Mm -hmm. Who wants to buy an album where 11 of the songs are not ones you want, but you just want one? So tech unbundles it. They break it. You said something that was interesting to me that the internet is hostile to it. I was like, but it was just, it was decisions that just got made by people. I feel like that when we're, we're heading into AI, we act like we don't have agency in doing things, but we do. This was a choice to be made to optimize and to remove friction at all junctures. I don't know if it's led to a better result. Maybe. One of the things that I came to the conclusion of when I was writing this is that it's easy to be hostile to the people that create friction-removing solutions, but they do it because people love it. There's a rule in the system that we live, the capitalist system, that if you can create a product that endears itself to consumers and in the process you know, makes money, I'm assuming that it's within the boundaries of some framework or regulation, then you do that. That's the game. And so if you create Artifact, which is an aggregation of media properties, or you create Facebook, or you create Twitter, or whatever it is, the tech companies created products that people loved. We shouldn't be hostile with the tech companies. They were making products people loved, and media companies weren't, period. I guess what got me thinking about it all was the sort of Hollywood-style rant that was at that conference you were at last, that Semaphore conference, mm -hmm. Brian, where Barry Diller said, sue these guys for violating your IP rights, the people that inevitably are going to flatten your content into a chat GPT response. And I get it. I'm a big advocate for the people that make media. I love media. That's maybe going to give us a bit of breathing room to reflect and so on, but it's not going to change anything. It's going to march on. And I think that regulation will happen. I thought the best thing this week that I read on reg regulation was that T Tim O'Reilly piece that I quoted in the newsletter. You know, it seems to me that even the sort of Silicon Valley libertarians are coming around to the fact that this thing needs scrutiny and we need some guardrails for it. So I thought that was a, one of the big news items of the week last week, that you're hearing more calls for regulation. How we do it, I don't even think we understand where the leverage points are to regulate. I, I don't think we understand also sometimes the motivations. There are definitely some doom and gloom motivations, but folks are actually 
finally figuring out that this could severely hurt their income streams once that gets fully activated. So my guess is that there's going to be a pretty big anti-AI media narrative with all these journalists thinking, oh my God, my job can be oh, yeah. automated. So, well, I keep going back to, I mean, people like journalists and white collar people weren't all that like exercised when automation came for blue collar jobs. But now, no. now when it's coming for the laptop jobs, let's pause for six months. I think there are people who are invested in AI are, are saying some of the same things, which is innovation brings on new jobs and everything's going to be fine. But I think that the tone is changing just because of the speed of evolution and how these things are stacking. I get updates on everything that went on in AI during the week. And last week was another one of these milestone moments with things like AutoGPT and stuff like that. So the speed has got, has got to freak anyone out. Alex, why don't you tell the audience what AutoGPT is just so they understand? Because I think it's consequential. It's kind of a, a project that somebody put up on GitHub that got a lot of attention and it spawned a lot of conversation around it. But it's this idea that you can use technology like chat, like GPT to create these agents that try to solve things over time by teaching themselves things and trying different things out based on a single prompt. So you can say, order me a pizza and the thing will try to run and figure out all the different methods it has at its disposal to get a pizza delivered to you, including access in the internet, getting access to certain things. And so that has... Stringing together prompts against exactly. the task it, and then adding adding memory to that. In an infinite loop until it eliminates in a, yeah, humanity in order to get exactly. it. Exactly. It's, okay. it's a system using itself to solve complex tasks in ways that are probably not the way we would do it, but it gets the job done. Another thing that got a lot of attention is this variation on that called Chaos GPT, which has been set up to destroy humanity and the system is now running. Now, some would say that it's good. I don't think it's been set up to destroy humanity. I think it's been set up to show that this is dangerous technology. Precisely. Or some sort of... Troy, do you have a a financial interest in this? (laughs) (laughs) I made a small (laughs) angel investment. Disclosure, I made a small (laughs) angel investment in the team. In Chaos We don't know how we're going to monetize it. There's a lot of money in world destruction right now. But just to bring it back to friction because this could become another AI only conversation really quickly but to bring it back to friction I think removing friction is so tempting for these tech companies because it has shown time and time again that that's what gets customers in and people love it. I think one thing that we sometimes fail to recognize is that there are really two types of friction unwanted and wanted friction. Sometimes it's perfectly fine to remove unwanted friction, like ad breaks when you're watching a movie. Yes. Is there a different way of experiencing that? You know, once you've maximized all of that, and once you've explored what you think is unwanted friction, then the line gets a little bit blurrier. Then the line gets a lot more like, well, is music discovery an unwanted or wanted feature? In the moment, you think you just want to hear a song right now, but actually in the long term, kind of meandering and listening to different records might be the right thing to do. And so it's all Or when you stuff. flip through the newspaper, it's inefficient, but you find it, things it, you might not otherwise yeah. have been. You know, right, exactly. And so so these things are, are are much more subtle and hard to recognize and often really hard to measure, which is why the narrative in industry has become all friction is bad, let's remove it. And then you end up with a fire hose like TikTok, which just blasts funny clips into your eyeballs and you're like a hamster and a wheel. Yeah, you don't need a cork for wine, do you, Alex? No, no, no. That's right. Screw tops. Old tech. Screw tops are better. <laughs> But I think that's a great point and because a lot of times these things come down to friction bad or friction good, but usually it's friction bad. In fact, it's the subtlety of friction because who would possibly be against removing friction? Yeah, we all hate friction, but like speed bumps. Who likes coming onto a road where there's a bunch of speed bumps? Don't you think that media also has created a world where it's made the wanted friction and unwanted friction indiscernible, like shoving ads in between stuff, tabula, it's all saying, hey, these mechanisms for reading and browsing and discovering stuff, we're going to load it up with ads so that you hate it so much so that removing it feels good. I don't want to say it's a victimless crime, but <laughs> there, there's... <laughs> I mean, we're all like guilty here. I'm not... I'm not hey, Alex, have you ever introduced friction into a smooth process that, you, that you've been in charge of? Yeah. Do yeah. you have an example of that? And I can only speak for what we were looking at when I was there. At Airbnb, there were definitely examples of things taking a little bit longer just so that you can communicate what was going on. If some sort of transaction went through and you wanted to make sure that the people understood what happened, you might make that whole process feel a little bit 
longer so that they understood, oh, my card went through, it, it did that, check, 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 and I, I feel better about it rather than speeding it up and making it instantaneous, which is what it could be. Isn't that just to upsell feel. you on cleaning services and insurance? Oh, man, I knew it. No, but also like the way you browse, you can optimize things for conversion. And I think when you're dealing with something like Airbnb, you don't want to force the fastest conversion, but the one that will lead to the least amount of misunderstanding. There might have been data points saying, well, we should push people to convert quicker rather than have them browse the photos for so long. But the instinct was, and I think data showed it, that time spent looking at pictures the more likely they were going to be happy with what they got. Do you so, guys still listen to full records? I do. No. I just did. You don't? No. Do you like music? Do- <laughs> yeah, I like music. <laughs> <laughs> you can like music and not listen to full records. So you, do you just listen, listen to, a lot to of them. hits? I listen to Spotify. I listen to playlists. I don't know. Hmm. Look, again, like I'm not pro-friction. I don't like friction in, in my everyday life. I mean, New York City, for instance, is filled with friction. There's way more friction here just on a day-to-day basis than there is anywhere else that I've ever been in the world. It's hard to do a lot of things in New York that are Okay, well, let's let's look at that. That's interesting. Is there more friction here than there is in, say, Miami? Definitely. Can you explain yeah. where you find that friction? New York is completely chaotic. Getting things done is really difficult here. I mean, you see it all the time. Just on a business level, doing anything as a business in New York is way more difficult than it is in other places. It just is. New York is the only place that will sell $20 cocktails and not take credit cards. It's just, (laughs) what? What year is this? A lot of stuff here. I mean, I'm shocked that you can get on a subway now with your phone. Really amazed. And I, anyone, I I just talked to someone. I like that. That's, that's a big improvement, right? That is. It is a major improvement. If you think about somewhere like Tokyo, I think the only thing I miss from my last job is the fact that I had to go, in quotes, to Japan at least once a year. They have removed friction from everyday life to such an amazing degree. And it's really liberating coming from a place with tons of friction to go there. But at the same time, the downside of it that you end up appreciating is removing friction, it gets boring. It gets all very automated. And I feel like a lot of media, as it's been combined with technology, there's this feeling that a lot of it, even though we have more and more of it, I know, Alex, you're going to disagree, is that there is this, because of the obsession with optimization and removing friction, is that a lot of the experiences feel the same. I don't think that that is a coincidence, because I feel like technology has gone from being an enabler to being the driver of everything in culture and society and everything. And I don't necessarily know if that's making things better or not. What do you mean exactly? Everything being the same, you mean the way things work or? Yeah, so like technology in general, as it invades places, every sort of area of life, quickly optimization takes over. And so you optimize to the best outcomes. When you end up doing this optimization, everyone's data sets are looking fairly similar. And so everyone gets at the same place individually. Mm-hmm. And so Yeah, like, but those are are those superficial things though, Brian, because maybe a long time ago we thought that coming up with funky interfaces to media on a website or the way a panel moved out over top of the content or the way we presented or juxtaposed information together. There was a lot more variation there, but it didn't actually mean anything. We optimized it out inside of social content consumption interfaces because really just the content mattered. I wonder if that elimination of what we're thinking of as as friction was just getting rid of unnecessary shit. Whereas maybe one could argue that design was a victim of optimization. One of the great things about magazines was the way that you use type and imagery and text to create a feeling. And that is still a little bit of a thing on the web, but less and less so, I would say. Like all of those experiments that were part of introducing design into content in aggressive ways didn't really pay off. They got optimized out of the system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that a good thing? Doesn't bother me. I have lots of thoughts. Can I unpack it? Unpack. I think there's a few things happening here. When we're talking about everything being the same, I think there's a definitely a group think around a philosophy in tech that is everything that can be optimized should be. The real issue there is with that is that people who like to optimize things want to also measure those things. And measuring means that things become much more short term. 
So you start looking at things in much shorter terms because you cannot measure things over months and years even. You can only measure things over weeks, especially when you're moving at any type of velocity, which means you're going to optimize out things that are actually pretty useful, even to your business. I gave examples where maybe you might reduce support tickets or cancellations or the way people feel about your brand. And what's happened in tech is removing is bad, optimization is good, let's just go full on and put a bunch of product managers, each on their little realm that they can optimize the hell out of. And you've built really successful business out of that that have absolutely no soul. But where can friction be used? Friction, sometimes I would call it like a packaging friction. We were talking about the album, the format, the long form article. You package something and you add this friction, but it's to the extent that you want to create a package that delivers something. Because you have a vision for an entire album, not just a song, for example. Or Beyonce dropping a 45-minute video album. Then there's all this feeling stuff in friction, which is like, how you feel about the brand, the art. We definitely added animations and little flourishes in places that added good friction because we felt it helped the brand. Or storytelling. The storytelling is friction. I don't want to see succession and say, here's what happens at the end of succession. It could be a single line of text, but you want to go through the ups and downs of experiencing this. And then the, the last part is process. So the packaging, the feeling, and the process stuff. The process stuff is usually good. You remove steps, you take out stuff that is too complicated. You used to have to enter an email and a password, and now you just have to enter a phone number, yada, yada. That type of stuff is all good. But I don't know if you guys listen to the All In podcast. Oh, I boy. hate listening to it every week. I did. Now I, I've started I've started to listen to it. You guys keep They were, well, I mean, it's listen. an important podcast, right? Because people listen to them. But the, the thing that I noticed last episode, they talked about media and art and creativity a lot. This literal like glee to the idea that creative people would be taken out of the process. And in the future, when I want to play a game, I'll just ask an AI, make me a game that does this. And the AI, thinking that culture will become entirely created on the fly for you individually. And so this this told me one thing, and I texted you guys about it, that none of these guys have any art in their souls whatsoever. They don't understand the idea of narrative and storytelling. And the fact is that we consume art, which is a very frictionful experience, usually, because we want the shared experience of experiencing something together. And we want to understand that it comes from another person that is telling that story. And I very much doubt that that will be replaced. Who wants to go in and say, hey, tell me a story that goes like this and like that? You're just telling yourself your own story rather than being excited about somebody else's creative process. It's a really good point. And I feel like I could have spent a lot more time on it, Alex. This is an affront, apparently, to the editor that wants to cut my story back. But the fact is, people don't care. I don't want a bunch of design crap all over a piece of content that I'm reading. They don't, I don't care. Most people People don't care about the album. Most people don't want to put an album on a record player, which is a tremendously friction-filled process. They don't care to stare at the album art. They just want to hear the playlist like Brian does. They want it straight to the vein. I think that our society's pretty good at giving people options. I still buy vinyl. I like the process, blah, blah, blah. I like going to find it, all that kind of stuff, which isn't to me really about friction or not friction. It's about a different path. I don't consider going to the record store a friction-filled experience, although one could say it's far more frictiony than than just listening to the songs on and discovering the songs on Spotify. I consider it a, a nice way to use time. Friction has to be earned. I don't remember what the Beyonce thing was, but she dropped a 40-minute video or something. Lemonade, that's it. And she earned the attention. And so you listen to this thing, which wasn't just... I a, have the album on vinyl, it's yellow. It, it could have been just a song dropped on Spotify and that's whatever. But I think you need to just earn that type of attention, that type of friction. And it's actually really present in my life as I'm working on video games. Because video games are about how can we earn that friction? When your character dies or when you try to do something, how do you make that fun? How do you make something hard fun? which is way harder than building an app, by the way, because you're, you're trying to apply friction in a way that is entertaining and Well, are you um, trying to exciting. apply friction or are you trying to create a narrative? It's both, because gameplay, like I would say, watching The Last of Us, there's painful things in The Last of Us that you wish wouldn't happen, but still happen. It's a question. The writers are so good that they earn that friction in the storytelling. In video game, in gameplay, it's about mastery. It's about creating a system that is hard enough to play so that people become better at it and feel good when they solve it. Now, you can tell a story through that, and we definitely are. 
But I think feeling these types of feelings are much harder for folks to understand sometimes. And it's much easier to say, let's just remove all the friction. But I don't think anything good ever had no friction. Yeah. And it's also, it's a short-term thing. In the short term, nobody likes friction. We're all impatient. Yep. And I think we're even more impatient than we've ever been. I think about binging. I feel like people talk about binging less than they used to. To me, binging was always stupid. It was weird. I mean, I love binging. I'm an adult. I, I don't know what you're week. talking about. I just binged beef. I did six episodes in one Being sitting. an adult means you can wait a week for a show. No, that's, fine. that's not true. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm a grown man. I can wait a week to watch Succession. Hang on, you're both wrong and right. Netflix has been looking at releasing shows on a weekly cadence because of the space it gives for conversation between yeah. episodes. I mean, Succession is an example of that where it creates an excitement around the episode narrative around it and makes it makes people want to watch the next episode more. Part of the bringing issue is also maybe likely linked to people dropping off Netflix series so quickly because they get too much of it and then they're done with it and then it falls off. So this is where like some frictionless stuff will be reviewed. I think it's not all good. And over time, they might notice that it wasn't the right call. Yeah. Like personalization. I think personalization as done with media oftentimes is terrible. It sacrifices is it it's serendipity. Or is it because it exists? Well, because it sacrifices serendipity for... Well, then it's the wrong know, personalization. Just, okay. It's not. Okay. So personalization as it is done often is to me, it's antithetical to serendipity. And you lose something in the media experience. I know in the in the short term, everyone just wants it now, wants it immediately. And I get that. And, and technology mm. is great for flattening all that and speeding it up. My issue with personalization is I find it creepy because TikTok thinks they know what I want. They think right now that I'm really into pimple popping. And yes. I fell into that segment because I probably spent too much time on a couple of those really good ones. And but now I'm I don't just know what you're talking about, and I'm glad. Jesus, yeah, don't even look. It's one when? of those things. I can't even talk about it. It makes me queasy. There was a ad for that that Dr. Pimple Popper on the basketball game last night. Did you see that? Uh, the guy walks in with all the cysts on his head. Everybody in my family recoiled. I was just like, I want to see the ending. Yeah. I don't know Dr. Pimple Popper. It's one of the see. flagship shows on Discovery that's now part of Max. <laughs> it's right next to Succession. <laughs> yeah, it's right next. It's what you watch after Succession. Okay. There's, but speaking of which, there's a lot of friction on Succession. It's building right now between the children. Oh, yeah. Oh, that kind of friction. I thought you meant in the this story. Uh, back to recommendations. Uh, the perfect recommendation system, because in my last job, we talked about recommendation a lot. Imagine you land on Airbnb. Is the ideal getting one house that is perfectly for you? It knows Troy, so the decor is a certain way, and it's got an expensive candle staff quarters and foot massage coffee machines big co and then coffee the nice machines stereo. just like just a row of espresso machines or is the perfect search result 20 homes that are different that get you thinking and inspired oh i didn't never thought i would want to stay in a hacienda but that sounds nice and i i always thought that it's the latter right it's giving you a smaller set because the big set is so there's just too much there but giving you a smaller set that gets you to think slightly differently. How about this? Like, why don't you try this out for a change? I think algorithms could be able to do that. And I think when they work well, they do. Don't you think? Yeah, I do. I do. I, you know, listen, I think that the TikTok algorithm is remarkable. I just have found as of late that it's been being a little aggressive in how it's segmenting me. It's all, we'll, we'll be all looking. Videos. Well, the thing is, is that the perfect recommendation algorithm is in some ways as elusive as human nature. Isn't I don't know YouTube, what I, I don't even know what I want next, Alex. So how is it supposed to figure that out? You know what I'm shocked about is how bad the YouTube algorithm remains. It's literally like somebody sends me a link, an ad about this like electric drill that we might want to buy or whatever. And then like nearly instantly, the next five videos on my For You feed are just like electric drill based. It feels like YouTube's algorithm is terrible, but it must be performing. Otherwise, that's this thing. Is that what people want? Right now, I'm into mechanical keyboards. So all my feed becomes mechanical keyboard. All my other pastimes have disappeared. Hmm. Substack is doing an interesting with the, that notes product that's just Twitter-like for their algorithm. They have a for you type algorithm, but it's it's based on the recommendations of the people you subscribe to. Basically, the publications that they recommend are the ones that you're then shown. So it's not like a black box algorithm, but it's based off of a bunch of humans saying, I like this thing. You know what my reaction to that is? is it's a little broader. And I would say 
See, what always happens when you have a successful application is the product team, driven by the business needs, looks to expand in different directions to take up more of your time or more of your money or whatever it is. So you get new features like notes on Substack. And I find it highly irritating in the case of Substack. I love Substack as a place to create emails. And I think that some things that contribute to that experience in a nice way, like the recommendations were nice. Now we have on Substack, we have chat, we have notes, and threads. we have don't forget your email. I don't even know what to do in there anymore. It's like too complex, it's too much. I just want to send out an email. And then you know well, what else I, bugs me is that I don't want to do the hustle. <laughs> Fuck the We've hustle. moved into the Andy Rooney phase of this podcast. No, but it's if people want to read the newsletter, read it. If you don't want to read it, don't read it. I don't want to get into this kind of like distribution hustle. You sent me oh, a well, note, Brian, and part. you said that's the worst part. You said, "Oh, you got to get on notes." I picked up a bunch of subscriptions. Get over there, hustle, hustle, hustle. <laughs> Please, I, I try to cultivate an image of not being sweaty. Don't. <laughs> well so but i don't want to go We're in there and sweaty. do the hustle not only yeah. that i'm not clever enough to figure out how to write a sentence that's funny enough that people care no well i think notes is i look look i think i'm good at that kind of short form like, you're the bet you're great at it right. you're really good it's, at it what was your famous I one this year skill <laughs> newark is the new jfk or something like that I, it's not a skill it's an affliction but but hey <laughs> okay a couple of things on substack specifically having chat and notes on the same product makes no sense. I don't understand. There's too much overlap between these two products. Speaking of friction, okay. this is Thank one you, of Alex. the worst this is one of the worst frictions is when you have two tools that do similar things and trying to decide where you're going to put your effort into. So yeah. it's really important in products to have everything do something very different. Instagram suffers from a very similar problem. I don't fucking know if it's a story, a, a post, or a reel. Yeah. Or, they should absolutely kill chat. I don't understand. Swiss what Army knives are shitty knives. Correct. But imagine a Swiss Army knife where like, it has four blades and they all do the same thing, pretty much. And I understand that chat does different things to notes. That being said, though, I think newsletters suffer from discovery issues. And notes is actually a really good tool for discovery, number one. And two, and we've built tools like that before, Troy, and, and The Verge's redesign was around that. Sometimes you want to write something that is too small for the newsletter, or you want to write a follow-up, or you want to update your audience. And I think that considering where Twitter's going, having a much more curated, smaller feed like that is potentially useful. I'm interested in like also when you decide to add friction, because I think you, you sort of got at this, but the reason you add friction is also important. Too many times friction is added mostly to support a business model. I think about in media, the frictions that are beyond like advertising, think about subscriptions. You know, it's going to be outlawed now, all the, and anyone who wants to cut down their churn in subscriptions, the first thing you do is you add friction. And the friction can be, you add a third screen to the cancel, you move the button around, or if you're the Wall Street Journal, you force people to call between nine and five. You know, you make them run the saves team gauntlet and everyone goes to these because again, it works. The numbers tell you a lot of times to remove friction, like 100%, but I think it's just, it's always in the short term. Yeah, in the short term, it works without a doubt. Yes. And uh, the problem is with these types of things like trying to unsubscribe or disconnect yourself from Comcast and stuff like that, unless you're a monopoly where, you know, they don't give a fuck. Problem is how people feel about your brand takes a lot longer to show up than how people feel about this removed friction. And the metrics are usually like, oh, less people canceled their subscription equals good. Then 10 years later, everybody hates your brand. Yeah. I mean, it's like sort of like sort of hackneyed now, but going back to when Zappos sort of took off, I mean, Tony Shea recognized that customer service didn't have to just be a cost center to be optimized into oblivion, but could actually serve the brand. And so they famously had someone who was, oh, I would never want to talk to a customer service person for six hours, but apparently they did. You know, it was a big cost and they, most people were outsourcing customer service and Zappos moved the whole company to Vegas in order to be able to have, I think maybe Tony liked to go out in Vegas too, but in order to be able to have customer service within the United States, instead of at the time, everyone was just outsourcing this. Was, you send it over, over to Tata, whoever <laughs> runs massive call yeah. centers in India. I think that's true. The problem is that even though we have all these examples, including Zappos, I would say the vast majority of product managers are not calibrated to do that. They used to say, friction bad, let's remove friction, put it into an A-B test. If an A-B test does more money, then it stays on the product. 
there's very little intentional design. And not, I'm not talking about the graphics here. I'm talking about the intentional design of products that people use every day. It's gone because it's way easier to so, do the other thing. Alex, for the audience or Brian, how do you make the case for friction? Make a case for friction. This is the problem. It's like friction is it's it's really difficult no, no, no. to make a case for yeah. friction. Well, I mean, and let's try to separate that case from just design decisions or helping to build a narrative. Make a case for friction in some way that I'm going to feel like I understand how to build it into my business or my design process or anything. Alex, you got a bunch of young people that are optimizing the shit out of a design, and you're you come in as this kind of bearded kind of guru. And you say, hey guys, have you thought about friction? What are you telling them, Alex? I don't know if I would even use the word friction. I would start at a place where, how do we want people to feel about the product when they're using it and about us longer term? And you go through an exercise and you come up with kind of a vocabulary. I want them to feel like they trust us. I want them to feel excited. I want them to feel this and that. And then you look at what could be added into the flow to make that happen. And some of those are frictions. But I try to remove the idea of friction out of the vocabulary because it just sounds bad. People want to remove it. And so I, w I would say that that's what I would do. Don't, don't talk about it as yeah. friction. Just talk about it as an experience. of like. But this is going do. back to what you said like last week. I think it was the one last week. Yeah, it's like, what are we trying to do here? And then working backwards from there versus nobody's going to make the case for friction. But for example, when I started at Digiday, we didn't have our domain name. It was called digidaydaily.com and Marchex was squatting on it and wanted $40,000. We didn't have $40,000. We published once a day at midnight, like a newspaper for a reason. And it was mostly because the domain name was daily. But the other reason was we wanted to optimize to differentiation. And so the bluntest way was telling reporters, good news, bad news, good news is unlike Mashable or IB Times, you have all day to do just one story versus four or five. The bad news is you have all day and it won't be published until midnight. So you can't just rewrite the same thing that everyone's talking about on the internet because it's going to be completely old. I don't know if that's constraint, friction or whatever, but it was artificial and it was created in order to lead to a desired outcome. Yeah, I mean, I think you just I built like what you wanted to build. And I think that's important. I don't know if I was telling you, Troy, this, but this conversation that I have sometimes with folks in software design is just like, why can't we just make something good? And then hey, nine out of 10 times, somebody will say, but what is good? How do you know what good is? And that's when you know, well, we might have a problem here because that's the whole job, knowing what good is or figuring it out or working your way towards something that's great. That question always scares the shit out of me. Well, because you have to take a you stance, know? right? You, might be you have to take, exactly. Oh. It, it either shows like a lack of intuition and or a lack of courage to take the stance. Both of those things could be structural, like the company might not give people the freedom to take these stances. But whatever the case, I think courage and intuition is everything. Because otherwise, I can give an AI a spreadsheet with some numbers going up or down and say, push the thing live that has a green number on it. <laughs> That's yeah. easy. Everybody can do that. Are we finished on friction? I want to do a little like this week in AI. Yeah, we can do AI. <laughs> Troy, are we, I mean, this was your topic, Troy. I'm glad we had it. I think that the listeners, I often hear back, People like to sort of turn you into a caricature. They seem to like we the all, friction. We all between, do that to ourselves, though. Come on. I know, but they like the friction between you and I, Brian. There's not, there's not they want friction. us to do, they want more of it. I, I'm not saying oh, really? there is. Do you want me uh, yeah, to people you? like. It's like, a, it's like a Tom Gregg situation, I think. <laughs> I yeah. know who I am. <laughs> 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 I mean, nobody comes off great in that. I think friction is wonderful when it gives you space to consider other options and to think and to let new ideas in. If I could advocate for friction, it would be that. It would be, how do you find places that disrupt a process that might otherwise be highly efficient? So there's serendipity and unexpected things that enter in ways that we, we may not have envisioned early in a process that make something feel more human or more surprising. You know, so in some ways, the case for friction is surprise. Yeah. And I would hate to have the world engineered by optimizers and they remove that kind of poetry of life. I'd say the worst example of friction is probably the cookie buttons on websites. You hate just GDPR. Useless. Oh, fuck, I hate it. Yes, it's useless. Yeah, I hate it too. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, it really is literally just a complete waste of time. So I hope a blight, that it, A blight on websites. Yes, thank you.
Anyway, I know that I've got that off my chest. Brian, I'm happy to move to AI corner, although I really do want to bring in Gen Z corner again. I know you guys think it was purely nepotistic to get my son a little of the airwaves, but I really do think that that generation thinks differently than we do. That's by definition, every generation thinks differently. But then they grow up and then they become very much like the previous Remember when the millennials weren't going to own anything? Guess who's owning a lot of shit right now? Well, but my son said, Dad, we think differently. This is where I want to live. And he showed me a shack in the forest. And then my millennial daughter says, no, Dad, this is where I want to live. And it's like a McMansion. They're very different, yeah. my children. Nothing but like one works at garage. Friends. We will have a Gen Z corner. All right, let's talk about darlings. This Week in AI. All right, let's do it. Okay, we need a jingle. Din, din, din. This Week you in AI. You had shared a list of various AI. I mean, the agent stuff is the stuff that I started going down a rabbit hole. But I was very intrigued by something that you shared. Karen AI which apparently will go and do like arguments and demand to talk to a manager on your behalf. And threaten to use a pistol. <laughs> it would be funny if Karen AI ends up ending us. That would be a weird twist. Here's an interesting exercise as well. You can create your own little agents now. A good friend friend of the show, Elliot, was teaching me how he uses ChatGPT. And having just the discipline of creating different conversations for different topics and then prompting chat GPT to behave in certain ways so you can create your kind of your own agent. I'm educating right now a writer that will write stuff for me. I'll tell it. You're a designer named Alex Schleifer. You're into this, this and that, da, 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 da. Here's the things you can do. Here's, the, here's, here's your tone of voice, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll end a sentence with a please answer red if you understand. And then the AI will just say red. And I'll just keep adding stuff like that. And you can use that to create, I have a writer bot. I'm creating a image generation bot, which creates like really beautifully syntax prompts for image generation, trip planner bot, all these types of things. And so I'll have all of these reorganized in chats around ChatGPT. Oh, I love this, Alex. Could we have Elliot come on the show and talk about this? Yeah, we should have him in one of the future episodes. Yeah, he, he'd w- be What great. is Elliot's last name? Garcia Weisberg. Mm, that's long. That'll be tough for her. It reminds me of like Dan Smith will teach you guitar. Remember those in New York? No, we just use the first name. Elliot will teach you power. Elliot will teach you ChatGPT. We could, we could make flyers and put it all around New York. I know Elliot. He's like a digital handyman. And it's this idea of using the training model models in contained ways so you can have them do very specific things rather than keeping them completely generalized. One AI that I want to build is like a recipe AI that understands how I cook and understands the things I like. You take that a little bit further, you're only doing this in the chat GPT interface and this is still not using any plugins, etc. But you take that a little bit further and you can use AIs and agents for all sorts of things, going out on the internet and trying to solve things for you, managing your... It's imminent that there's some AI out there that will manage your entire life uh, Alex, in, a, in a way that is really I'd like to f- useful. Find out. I like, to, I like this, this recipe thing where you're going to do escargot and schnitzel. To, mm-hmm. to bring That's together exactly. your Austrian and <laughs> French Austrian. heritage. Yeah, we'll hopefully know me better than you. I've been trying to get consistency out of my little bear queries in mid-journey. Yeah. And so I use seeds to do that. But I'm finding the parameters are really hard to get your arms around. Right. And I stylistically, the thing moves all over the place. And so yeah. Wait, is that I find the one that in, frustrating. I'm using the one in Discord. Is that the one in Discord? I can't stand it. I use it in Discord, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The hell are seeds? So mid-journey is, is image generation and requires specific type of prompts. Brian, you use it in Discord. If you pay for it, you can use it in a bunch of other ways, including your own Discord. We have it integrated into our Discord. So we can image gen whenever we're having a conversation around the studio. Here's what you can do with ChatGPT. You could train your ChatGPT to generate incredible prompts for you. So Troy, with the right conversation, create a new chat and you create a right conversation. You give it very specific prompts, which we can help you get. And then what you will have is a chat GPT conversation that is ready and primed for you to create your newsletter bears. What software do I use to do that? Can I do that inside of chat GPT or do I need this? Yeah, it's all the same software. It's just using it. No, is it someone that's using their API or do I just do it directly? No, no, no. It's all in chat GPT. You're just using the bear functionality of chat GPT. 
yes. And so you train your AI to write really good prompts. If you do that, Troy, you will be able to just tell the AI, make me a newsletter bear that holds a ball or whatever. And it will pretty much like first time around create you the perfect prompt for that that will do it in your style. Can I also do something that moves that prompt over to Discord, Alex, with the AIs? Or do I have to cut and paste it? Oh, Jesus. That's a friction right there. Yeah, cutting and pasting is a lot. You could build this all with the APIs. I think right now it's useful to just use the tools and use, learn how to use them. But yeah, there's there's a lot of tools being built that automate these processes, including I wanted to talk about the new Adobe tool Firefly. And now there's also a plugin that introduces mid-journey straight into Photoshop. And not only that is that it lets you image gen, but then it lets you select areas and have the image generator like God, expand it God. or change it. It's fucking incredible. You guys have been waiting your whole life for that. That's incredible. I mean, I say you guys because I'm not a big user of Photoshop, but I used to, and that's incredible. Guys, I work with a lot of really talented artists, and there's an equal sense of excitement and worry because there are people like so excited about the fact that creatives will no longer need to exist. But what I was telling the team today is, let's look at this in a way that can allow us to tell stories. Universal entities, tagline or whatever, is we tell interesting stories with computers. And so what, what can we do? We can do work at a bigger scale with a smaller team. So a lot of stuff that is really painful, like generating a bunch of assets that would usually not be fun for everyone, you can maybe automate. But we can also probably tell different types of stories and make different types of games using agents. So imagine if a character in a game is programmed as an agent with his own motivations. Within the boundaries of a system, these then become really interesting game mechanics. And all of our games happen in a single world, in a single universe. And what I'm doing now is I'm creating a whole kind of download of our lore for our world that I'm building into a interconnected document, like a wiki. And we're going to make an AI ingest that, create a Discord channel so that anybody working on a game says, what was the name of the scientist in this thing? Or when did this thing happen? Or tell me more about this thing. And the AI should be able to tell the stories of our game pretty readily, which is huge because even companies like Marvel and Disney have tons of issues like managing their lore and keeping That's things incredible. That, aligned. So, so AI becomes the scaffolding for your whole game narrative. And now anybody can access it and it's going gonna, it's gonna to give the parameters of the story and the characters and all of that to everybody to ensure that you're all working together. Yeah, yeah. And then potentially that would also move into the game so that characters in the game have the context of the world that they exist in, which is shit, man. It changes a lot. And I'm trying to focus on what new things we can do rather than worrying about all the ways it's going to replace us. And and that's not to diminish the fact that a lot well, of you're running on place. I just want to pipe up from the cubicle here. I mean, I can understand it because even if you're an A player, I think the concern is that it's going to make a C player be able to be an A player. There's way more C players than A players. And so even if you're an A player, you probably end up being very wary of all this stuff. I don't like grading people, but every time a new technology comes out, it either replaces you or makes you better. So you got to work hard. Typography didn't disappear. And now we have a billion fonts instead of the four or when we went from the letterpress into computing. I always think that it'll change a lot of things for people. But hopefully if you focus more on how can it augment you, then you'll have a better time. But caveat, one of the major issues is a lot of these models are trained on people's work that they haven't been paid for. So I will, <laughs> that remains a major issue. That is really shitty because there's a lot of people like Friedberg on the All In podcast saying, it's amazing, you won't even need an artist. Well, you've needed artists and all of this stuff is based on old stuff. So if you ever want yeah, to create what, what you, you get paid you for is shifts. I, I don't think we can spend too much time on that. You know what? Like Roman is a brilliant character. AI is not going to create Roman. And someone's going to have to make a bunch of decisions around that. People will get paid, but new, new things get paid for old things disappear. Sure. I'm less worried about that. The transition doesn't have to be painful. I feel like Alex hijacked <laughs> your AI corner, and I feel like you wanted to talk about Karen AI or something else. No, no, no. I didn't mind. want to talk about. It. I just wanted to. Oh, I wanted to fence off some AI talk, new AI tools and stuff. It's fine. We'll work on it. Let's go into good product. Well, I have a good product, and it's very simple. Is it Karen AI? It's been harvested for thousands of years. It's spread from the Middle East. It's good dried and not dried. And it's Opium? rich. And... <laughs> no, that's a good product too, but it's a fig. Oh. 
It's a fig. I think figs are are just extraordinary. I love fresh figs. I love dried figs. I like figs in salad. I like figs with chicken. I like figs in a sauce. I like figs as an afternoon snack. It's a little pick-me-up with a bit of sugar in it. I think that figs are beautiful in their deep purpleness and their consistency. I like the little seeds that pop in your teeth. There's nothing wrong with a fig. So this is a I feel like to we need to talk them. about good product. I this is just the food stuff. I hadn't done food in a while, Brian. <laughs> okay, I get a different one because it came up in Well, but last week, I mean in in fairness, last week it was a monitor, which I thought was very shitty. I feel like it needs to be something that monitor was mechanical. Good. I'm about to buy one. It needs to be what? So, let's talk about it and let's let the audience it maybe give you some mechanical feedback. To some degree, it needs to be created by human ingenuity. Okay, so look, fuck the fig. Let, what do you got? Wait, did, did you wait? Did you can't talk about figs and you know that every time you're eating a fig, you're eating a wasp. Is that true? That's how they get pollinated. So, female fig wasp enters the figs through a small opening and then it lays her eggs. And then the fig wasp must navigate the tight space within the fig. She loses her wings and antenna, and then she pollinates the flowers by spreading pollen and she and then she Just, keeps going and then so, what happens do i am i eating her carcass i mean everything is pre-digested oh into everything so don't tell desantis cool. <laughs> 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 okay all right so the figs didn't actually work out that badly brian what do you what do you got i really like a mocha pot do you guys have mocha pots What's you know there's like a pot? million ways to make coffee like a million yeah. ways. My, my wife uses a jezba. I mean, they were using jezbas in the 12th century in Istanbul, Constantinople, uh -huh. I guess. Are and, those those steel pots you put right on the stove? Yeah, the steel oh, yeah. pot. Well, so the jezba is literally, it's just like a pot and they just pour the grounds and it's like really old school. But the mocha is, is from Italy. Have you ever seen these things? It's got a little filter yeah. on, to, on top of it. And then it the pressure pushes the water up through the grounds and you have when it's bubbling it's finished it's a very pleasing way to make coffee i find it's got some hmm. friction but it's pretty good i think that's a there's good a product. ton of friction it takes three minutes to make on the opposite spectrum of that i have a fully automated espresso machine where i just no, press see, a button and that thing will just shoot out a delicious espresso with crema on top of it i bought it for the office thinking i would get a more manual setup for the house but then every morning i just press a button now and i'm lazy it's great. Here's George Jetson. I sit right in the middle. I actually have a, a, a couple of these sort of heavy Italian machines. The one I actually was gifted to me this is the favorite at this point. It's a Marzocco. They're manual. They're, they're the machines like you see in the coffee shops. A espresso machine, double boiler, foam, water, blah, blah, blah. It's great. a system. Awesome. It's not a product. It's a no, it's a, it's a, it's heavy metal. It's a big product. It's a great product. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, but the mocha pot, I like the idea that Italian people were using this like in the 17th century to make coffee. Greek slash Turkish coffee slash Middle Eastern coffee. You just cook it in a pot and then you pour the whole thing with grains and you let it settle. Yeah. That's also I had good. one for lunch nice today, Alex. Yes. A Greek, Greek coffee that was filled with sludge at the bottom. Yeah, that's the Jesma stuff. It's got another purpose. You flip the cup around on its little tray and then you lift it, I think, and then somebody can read your future from the patterns that the coffee makes. So it's got a dual use. Oh, interesting. Nice. It just makes a mess in our sink. But All right, should we uh, leave it there? Yes. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Well, I, I spoke too long, apparently. I'm sorry. I, ramb well, I rambled today. I didn't think it was terrible. You know what? I think best product while you attack it or good product, I think it ended up being quite successful. What, the fig? Well, the fig, fuck. It's just I'll work on it. Stop. I don't know what else to put it. The world is weird and it's changing. Wait till AI hits us over the head again. Thanks, guys. <laughs>